right. So uh, beginning of the episode, uh, dedication time. So what dedication would you like? Time. What would you like to dedicate it to? I would like to dedicate this to all of the artists who were told at one point or another that this was not a smart career choice and that you should do anything else. Has and anybody really did it anyway? Oh, somebody, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. People have told me. You know, to, you know, if you can do anything else, do something else. You know, being an artist, maybe you know, do computers, study this, study that. And for the people who do it anyway, good on you. My my dad did have a joke. He goes, you know, why don't you why don't you do like culinary arts too? I go, I don't want to be I want to be an artist, not culinary. No, he goes, no, you're not listening to me. If you know how to cook, then you'll never be a starving artist. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're back with Matt Bailey. Howdy. Uh, before we get started, I want to let everybody know that uh, Kyle Gothy, who is a present on my show and uh, Goat Film Reviews, and I have a YouTube channel, uh, Kyle Nick on Film. And we'll put the link on there where we talk about movies. Um, we've got some great episodes already in bank to present. So look for it in a couple days, and we have some up now. So we just started. We only got a couple of them already going. So uh, look for that, Kyle Nick on Film. Uh, with us is Matt Bailey. Howdy, howdy. So I'm looking at your bio. You're from California. I was born in Northern California, yes. Northern California. Born and raised. Um, when did you move here in St. Paul? Or between cities? I moved to Minneapolis about two and, a, two and a half years ago now. Okay. So you're acclimated more to the winter now? More now, yes. I was in New York for about 15 years. So I got, okay, a, New I York, got a little okay. taste of, of some winter out there, but nothing like this. Okay. What made you go to the New York City? Uh, right when I graduated from college, it was um, just the next thing. I was, you know, it was either L.A. or New York, right. and I've never really been an L.A. person. So New York was the thing. Really, I mean, yeah. that, because you're from California, and it comes logic. People already let's just drive south. And my grandma used to live uh, in Orange County, and I've been to L.A. a lot. Been to Disneyland a bunch of times, and um, I've worked there a little bit. And it's just never been somewhere that I saw myself living. So it's New York was really the only other place. We're in the we're in the district. Did you Manhattan or? I was uh, in a story on Queens, just over the river. Okay, all right. So that's not. That's, yeah, that's a lot of actors there, and it's pretty much a straight shot into Manhattan. Right. Yeah. Did you like it in New York? I mean, I never, did. No, I, it's. I, uh, you know, I did so much work out of town, so I was really only there for about probably about ten of the years. But, um, it, there's really no place like it that that I've been. That there's just an energy there. And a hunger to, not only in in the arts, but also in, you know, banks and every yeah. job that's out there. Everyone's so hungry and just go go go, and you have to battle. And there's something there's something to that that is not only exhausting but also wonderful. Yeah, I think everybody should make at least one pilgrimage to New York City. Totally, just check it out. Yeah, just to, just to absorb it. You don't have to live there. I understand it's not for everybody for sure, but yeah, it's uh, it's an energy that. I've found unmatched anywhere I've been. And then you've been here for two years. Yeah, just over two years. Yeah, what, what's what's different about St. Paul than the other locations or the Twin Cities? Um, you know, I'd been here on tour a couple of times and it was always a place that I thought was on a short list of places I, I could live that had enough really? of an art scene, enough of a film community. Um, 
you know, there was Chicago and Austin and some other things in there. But yeah, everybody regards this as little Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just nothing else, you know, about the five cities on that list. And that was about it. <laughs> are you ever going to move out? Are you still traveling or are you kind of... I think your, we're good. We're, you know, we got a family here now and, yeah. and we have space for our kids and... I think we're sticking. <laughs> sticking with the weather, <laughs> right. Okay, all right. It's not too bad. I think artistic culture here at Minneapolis St. Paul is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an open secret that you come here. It's really a blossom yeah, and really you can tell. You can tell by going to the museums and a lot of the older theaters and, and uh, the theater, you know, the Guthrie and the various theaters around town. And you can just tell that there's money and there's work put into these things to keep yeah. them afloat, to keep them going, and to also create really good work, not just to have stuff, but to create stuff that matters. Yeah, I, I the Minneapolis Institute of Arts is a wonderful. Totally. And it's free, but it serves some wonderful pieces in there that are permitted collections. Mm-hmm. That Even I, the city parks, you know, there's something yeah. to just a city caring about its parks, having somewhere to go, you know, with your families and with your kids, and and just having beautiful places to go, like that the, they care about that upkeep, means right, yeah. a lot about people who run a city. Yeah, I think that's another secret that people don't know that we have like a, they put a lot of money into the parks and yeah. everything and we got great public transportation. It's, it's not that way everywhere. <laughs> not that way everywhere, right? Yeah. So with you and acting mm-hmm. and you did a little bit of writing too. I did. And I love to talk about writing yeah. because I've done it also. But um, And I always ask people, was it something that was always with you or is it eventually come The to, writing? Or well, the acting. Or both. Yeah. You know, it was funny because I went to college with uh, undecided on my major and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I literally took a class called Acting 101. <laughs> and my, my section uh, professor asked me one day, he's like, you know, what do you, what's your major? Do you have a major? What are you doing? And I was like, I, I don't know. And he's like, have you thought about auditioning for the theater program? And I was like, interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and in retrospect, like the things that I had loved most were the plays I'd done growing up and being at summer camp and doing sketches and doing really? being on stage and leading songs and doing all that sort of stuff was the stuff that I really had fun doing. So prior to the acting, you were comfortable show, doing shows in front of people? Yeah, more or less. Okay. Um, so when I started getting into that, I, there was really no looking back. And yeah, yeah. I think the best thing that actually happened to me was I sort of made this decision, sure, I'll, I'll go audition, and I didn't get in. I was the first alternate at my university, which meant that like, okay, yeah, you're good, but like not your number 11 out of 10. Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. And so the next year I was like, well, I guess I'll find something else. And I got back to school and I was like, absolutely not. I'm going to get in next year. And so I busted my butt and I read and I studied and I finished all my other non sort of arts classes. Okay. So that by the time I auditioned next year and got into the program, I was essentially in a conservatory because I'd finished all of my general education requirements. Sure. Other yeah, than yeah, like, it, you know, yeah. one or two history classes or something. So I was able to fill my entire college schedule with everything from jazz history to dance to music to op. Like I took all of these classes that just flooded my arts, you know, inspired all the inspired parts of my body. Just so you got pretty much saturated. Totally. Which was kind of awesome. And I, and also if I had gotten the year earlier, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So it was sort of like a blessing in disguise that I had to stay there and uh, re-audition. But do you remember what the play was? Or when you in college? Uh, I mean, I did a bunch of plays in college. Okay. I, but for the like program. The, yeah. Like the first one? 
The first one I did, that's a good question. I don't think it's not. I yet. did Metamorphosis at one point, but that wasn't the first. Oh, one. based on the book, the, the, Med, the Mary Zimmerman play. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the first one? I did a, a one act called The Adventures of Captain Nito Man, which was this comedy about a kid. I hope it's a comedy. A, a grown man who who was dressed as a superhero. It was really fun. We had a, like a stuffed animal fight, and it was pretty goofy, but. Um, I think that might have been the first thing that I did at the One Act Festival. Well, comedies is a, it's a good challenge. Totally. Because then you know immediately, especially for a play, you know me if it's a hit based on reaction. Yeah, you right? know if it's working or not right but away. It's pretty quick, right? Yeah, yeah. My favorite joke is uh, my friend. I, I won't name his name because he doesn't. But he wanted to do stand up. He started stand up, and then he started branching out doing traveling. And then when he went to went to a place in Chicago, it was getting so hot they didn't have air conditioning, so they opened the windows. And when he did his performance, you could hear the crickets in the outside. <laughs> so when he did a joke, you could literally was crickets. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, we definitely had some sketches in yeah. my comedy group in college that sort of hit a wall of nothing. And you're like, okay, next one. Go. Yeah. So... Was it acting first, then writing, or is it, it always It was definitely self- acting first, and okay. then, you know, I moved to New York, and I started doing a lot of theater right away, and because I sing, uh, I found that musical theater was the most auditions I was getting, because sort of a, if you're a leading man in New York, there's not a ton of you who sing, and uh, so I got a lot of auditions that right away doing that. Um, so my first couple of jobs okay. were... Uh, working at New York City Opera and then uh, sort of around town doing some regional theaters. I mean, uh, uh, different places around the country. And then I eventually booked a tour, um, which took me out of town for a couple of years. And then when I got back from that, yeah, I wanted to get more into on-camera stuff because the two worlds don't have a ton of overlap in okay. New York. Yeah. And I would probably, uh, it's probably not in LA either. Um just simply because the casting offices who call people in for the shows, sometimes, you know, they'll see musicals and things and, and yeah. call people in, but most of the stuff happens out of town. So there's not a ton of overlap. So to get it into those offices, you sort of have to start from the ground up. Okay. Unless okay. you just want a Tony or something in which then you, that puts you right on the map. But otherwise yeah. you pretty much have to build those relationships from scratch too, just like you have in the theater. So I started getting into those classes and trying to get into those offices one by one. And I am. after, I don't know, probably like two years before I finally booked my first television gig. See, I, it, it, I think that's the same, the same in two years. It's the same answer when I started in a band and they say, when your band started, it's going to take you about two years. Mm-hmm. When you want to learn an instrument to be proficient, it's going to take about two years. If you want to do stand up, it's going to take about Two years. You want to do anything? That usually is the barometer. About two years of just hard work at of, it. Yeah, of doing no yeah. and not getting any work. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? And yeah. then like as it starts to come a little bit, um, and that's yeah. a misconception a lot of people have that that you can just sort of show up and and get into these industries. And it really does take just simply from a networking standpoint to meet the right people. It right. takes years. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, it's not only just and I've talked. To a lot of other people it's not just doing your work in a dungeon downstairs and getting your artwork done and turn off the world you have to go out there and kind of promote yourself you got to ship your product yeah. eventually yeah put it up in a you know on a wall or go to an open call or send you know show up at their office and see 
you know, if we have any extra slots. Yeah. I would have mentioned because another surprising thing I found about you is you've been on TV shows as well. Yeah. And one of them was Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. That was one of the first sort of big uh, credits that I got to do. Was that in New York City? Yeah. So Shot was, in Brooklyn. Uh, they had a huge sound, sound studio in Brooklyn. Okay. And uh, I think I had three auditions for them. And then it was literally like four days later. Like okay. it was like the following Monday. And that was, was it multiple episodes or was it just a single one? It was three days, three or four days, and it was just a single episode. Oh, yeah. In the last season of the show, and it was an unbelievable experience because walking into that, it was a show that I loved. So to. I know it's a little bit of a hidden, yeah, nobody really talked about it. A lot of things yeah. I went in for, you know, I'd never seen before or yeah. they hadn't aired yet. But with Boardwalk, I was like, oh my God, I've seen <laughs> this show. I love this show. I'm like, yeah. Scorsese and all the people involved I like couldn't believe when I stepped onto the set and I was like oh my that's the that's the theater and they have all these things there's Nucky's apartment and all these things that were just built one on top of each other yeah so, it was a great production so oh, it was beautiful yeah and it's kind of I think it's eye-popping working on stage and stuff then you go to a movie or a TV show huge HBO set and see it's almost kind of like a stage they set it up and everything yeah I mean it's like being in a really fancy hotel where every room is like yeah. there's a bar and then you walk through the doorway and you're suddenly like in a bathroom and then you're in a shower like everything is just built next to each other and everything's complete different architecture and it's super expensive and all the roofs are open so they can adjust the lighting and Oh, the seat. yeah, this yeah, I get yeah, it. yeah. There's no roof on anything. Yeah, and, you know, and and I'm standing there with, you know, Stephen Graham and Michael Shannon and all these people that, that I've only watched before, and you're just thrown into the mix, and it's like, all right, ready? Let's do this. Let's do it. You're right. And you just have to be ready to go. Uh, with that experience, um, did you learn anything different? Did you learn anything new, or uh, or is this it's so galvanized, right? I mean, it really is that thing about like you got you have to be ready to go at the the reason that auditioning for TV stuff can be so hard is that it might you might be shooting the next day and it might be a scene with the star of the show and they don't have time for you to mess it up or no. time for you to be nervous or time for you to you know be late to the call right. or because you missed the subway or because you slept in like yeah. there's no time for that there's so much money at stake people don't realize how much money goes into these shows. And so if you're late, if you forget your lines, if you're nervous, like they, it doesn't matter. They'll, yeah. They will replace you in five seconds because they have a day to meet. And, you know, anyone with a production background knows that, like, you got to meet your day. So if it's the scene's not working, you, know, you only get one sort of crappy take, like, you got to move on, <laughs> you know? I had, you know, I used to be a football referee for 20 years. Mm -hmm. A lot of that relates to it. You better know your rules. You better know your position you better know all this stuff and they'll throw you into the lion's den and you better not screw up because there's 20,000 people that are going to see you screw up yeah and it doesn't yeah. mean that you have to know your line exactly no. how you want to say it but you have to be comfortable in a place with your you know sort of acting chops that yeah. you can be relaxed and like go with the flow because they might uh you know when I was on Madam Secretary they we did the scene a couple times and Morgan Freeman was like uh, this isn't working. We need to change this around. And he literally just rearranged all the lines in the scene. And everyone was like, sweet. All right, let's do it again. And, <laughs> and like, you kind of be on your toes and like be ready for that kind of stuff, you know? 
he seems, and I've seen a lot of outtakes, he seems very relaxed, even though he's very professional and works, but he seems very relaxed working. Oh, he was literally sitting in the corner of the room with a newspaper and a coffee between takes. And, and one of the ADs, I believe it was on set, was like, oh yeah, he's like the master of naps. Like he'll do a take and he'll <laughs> just walk over there, just sit in his chair, shut his eyes, five, 10, 20 minutes. Morgan, we need you. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. You know, just like you get it where you can. <laughs> there was a great movie that was filmed here um, called uh, That Was Then, This Is Now, based mm -hmm. on the S.E. Hinton book. Um, and uh, Emilia Estevez and uh, Craig Schaefer were the stars, but also featured a very young Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. So if you ever get it, if you have an opportunity to see it, then the listeners, if they don't know about it, I think it's a wonderful, it shows the chops of Morgan Freeman just starting in the early 80s. Totally. Yeah, yeah. To check that one out. Is he, with um, Madam Secretary and Boardwood Empire, is that something you want to continue to pursue as television? Yeah, there's not a ton of like network big stuff out here, obviously. Yeah. I still have my agents and stuff in New York, um, but for somebody out of town, it would really have to be kind of a special or very specific project right. or something I'd been on before if they want to bring me back. Yeah. Um, but that comes in every once in a while. You know, yeah. I, I just sent a tape to LA a couple weeks ago because they needed a, someone who looked like this politician from the seventies, you know, and I kind of passed for him. So I, you got the outfit, right? Way you got the white collar, you know, right. put on some old tweed and <laughs> did my best. <laughs> well, I like costuming is a big part of it. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's a big, huge part of it. Especially when you do stage, does, mm -hmm. does that help? Do you oh, work absolutely. with it? Especially yeah. per the period stuff is, it's all about the costumes to me. It, it, the shoes make you walk a certain way, you know, and even further back than that, if you're doing a play, you know, a restoration play and you're wearing heels, yeah. you're going to walk a certain way as a man. And yeah. they had to learn how to walk in those big chunky heels because they're also have the, the tights and, you know, the little right. sort of puffy pants and the long frock coats. And it's a lot of that movement that you sort of learn in, um, in theater programs is a product of the clothing that they were wearing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Especially when you like at auditions, especially send tapes. Do you do heavy research costuming? At least, but when you send them, I do like suggestive costuming. Sure, you know, like I'll wear something that like could pass for something really old, yeah. or I'll I'll do the opposite and I'll just put on like something sort of neutral, like some sort of neutral coat. If they ask for that pass. or something, yeah, yeah, you know, because I never want to like wear a look like I'm wearing a costume. I'm not gonna like wear the doctor's outfit. <laughs> yeah, that's the other. I think that's a hard thing for people to do is convince them that you're not wearing that you actually are part of it wearing the costume mm -hmm. that you're not just putting it on but you're actually part of well, the and whole and it informs yeah. your, your movement and you know can often change the pace of how you talk and move and it's definitely my one of my favorite days doing tv or theater is when you finally get to put the whole costume on yeah and, and like for boardwalk they it was all all the way down to the skivvies. I mean, we were no, wearing, wait, what? We really? were wearing stirrups. We were wearing um, old style socks that were not made of elastic. So you know, you had to wear the sock right. garters. No, don't put a run in them. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just that uh, that it was so authentic, and they built us custom suits, even though we were only there for like a week. Um, so Martin you had to Greenfield get your measurements in New York. All that, yeah, right? that we got measured, and they built us these double-breasted suits. 
um, because we were supposed to be, you know, we were playing movie stars. So they wanted us to look our best. And so that's another thing that like, you don't realize how much money goes into just like one day of shooting that they might, they may have custom built every piece of clothing that people are wearing. It is fascinating. I think people don't appreciate it, especially when in the Oscar nominations or stuff like that, where you go best costuming. And I think it gets a little cheap because some people, oh, that's a period piece. That'll get automatic. But every movie is heavily invested in costuming. Totally. And I think one of the best ones would probably be like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That, I watched it, is hard costuming. Mm -hmm. Especially if you want to look something of that era, but it look, look casual, you know, mm -hmm. almost like you want to look like you're not working hard towards it. There was a funny story that I heard that uh, one of the years that Mad Men and Boardwalk were both filming at the same time is there was a big crowd scene and they were trying to buy all of these uh, suits from a certain year. Okay. And they could only, they only had like smalls left. And I can't remember which show was which, but you know, Boardwalk was like, "What? Wh where are the rest of the suits? We need more suits." And they were like, "Well, Madman rented all of the, the other ones, so <laughs> they had to just use all the small ones and get a bunch of small extras <laughs> to fill in the crowd scenes." That's the costumes they had to go. Not the other way around. Yeah, they had to hire fire the people that fit the costume. Exactly. Right. They usually, because that was one. they couldn't fill. They didn't. They didn't have the right si you know, normal sizes available. <laughs> With your busy schedule, are you able to watch uh, other movies? Yeah, when I can, I I really try to keep up, but I keep a list in my phone, and it just seems to every time it gets small, I, get, yeah. I throw another dozen on there. So, <laughs> especially at award times during the holidays, when I get a little bit more time off, I really try to sit down and see as much as I can because I really like to keep up on things and and see what people are really think is good. And yeah, so I have a whole bunch of stuff that I'm just dying to see, like parasite and oh, all these things yeah. that i keep hearing yeah. about that i just hear are wonderful um yeah, and especially for uh, kyle and i because we're gonna do it at the end of a year best of mm -hmm. and this is the period where i am watching probably two movies a day right till the end of the time so i'm watching all the new ones of 2019 and um yeah it's kind of a crunch time a little bit because totally. we want to get the where to get in and you you don't want to miss anything mm -hmm. um and you want to do kind of you don't want to be skewed by other critics at this this phenomenon. And, and I try to yeah. not read anything before I see. It's movies. hard. Yeah. yeah, I think it's hard, and I don't want to be persuaded by other critics saying this is phenomenal. You need to see this because you're abandoning some other stuff that could be phenomenal. There's a movie called Waves that's not getting attention mm -hmm. that I think I would love to watch and see, and I think it should, maybe it's going to be on my. It looks like the potential to be a top thirty of mm -hmm. my films. Yeah. So it's hard not to, especially this day and age, to with all the ways of avenues of fighting. Or just with, accidentally reading, yeah. you know, spoilers <laughs> or, or what people think. Right. So I try to, if I yeah. if I'm anticipating going to see something like Star Wars next weekend, I would just not go on Twitter for a couple of days, <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> because. <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. you guess what happened? Yeah. And I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Or are you just gonna have to like not sure if they write it on the bathroom walls all the spoilers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when you were a kid, what was like one of your movies that you really liked, or what was what oh, was one that you're always rewatching as a kid? There's a whole bunch from we, we were up talking that about I Batman. still yeah. rewatch and and just love. I, I saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit seven times in the theater when it came out. You gotta be kidding me, really? Yeah, that's a great movie. I was though. obsessed. You I, want a little secret about believe, it? Like how how could they do that? Do you want a little secret about it? Yeah, yeah. That script is actually Chinatown 3. <laughs> I think you were talking about that on, on the show yeah. one day. I, if, I, if you caught the earlier yeah. episode, and they, they just 
rebaked it and all that stuff. But and then Jack didn't want to do Chinatown three. He, the two Jakes, yeah. So Can they you just, imagine Jack Nicholson in that role. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> putting a high. Well, that's the that's Bob Haskins' character was yeah. supposed to be um, Jack Nicholson's character from Chinatown. But that's one of the reasons, probably, why the world is so wonderfully created. It's because they had put animation. They it's had Toontown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead of just a regular old Joe Plow town in California, it's Toontown, and then they put yeah. Yeah, Other movies I, that was that fascinating. I, that was like the first time you really saw live action mixed in with cartoon. Oh yeah, right? yeah, it was mind blowing at the time. Um, I loved, you know, Jurassic. I remember seeing Jurassic Park and Batman for the first time. That's probably what really blew my mind uh, in terms of movies and like really got me interested in telling stories on screen because just those epic, larger than life. Sitting in a full yeah. theater watching those for the first time, I still remember what it felt like. Yeah, just to be blown away by things that you just never seen before on screen. Yeah, you. T- I was four. You don't understand. I was five years old and I saw it or something like that. Or yeah, mm-hmm. it was a big deal when like ET came out and oh, saw yeah. that in a the theater and that was just massive. Now looking, I was like, I can't believe I sat as a kid and sat with patience because that movie's kind of slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they moved kind of slow. I wonder, as a kid, I had the patience to sit and just watch it because yeah. I, I think that's the trick of Spielberg to convince you to entertain you, even though there's some totally. slow parts. To and it. later on, like you know, watching Close Encounters and Stand by Me and Dead Poet Society. I mean, I still watch these over and over and over. It just, I just love them so much. Do you um, do you have any music favorite musicals in mind? Favorite musicals, um. Not ones that have been made into movies necessarily, but okay. I still remember seeing, you know, Rent when it came through San Francisco the first time. Uh, I still see that would be I don't, the first time I listened to the last five years. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think Rent translates well for a, a movie, even though they've done it before. I think you have to do it at a theater. I think it really does work well on a a live stage better. Yeah, I also just think for. The big miss for me was it's about these like struggling artists, you know, in New York who have nothing except their their craft, essentially. Right. And they're living in this like giant loft, in this beautiful <laughs> building, and their lives don't see all that bad. No, and, no, and no. when the world is when the world is presented that way, you're like, what's really what are they struggling with exactly? But maybe that's just me, you know, having I, actually been poor in New York at one point. I, I give it an this is my perspective, it's a slight little delusion. That they're actually doing what they want to do, mm-hmm. even though it's a struggle, but they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. There are some plays that I like. Like, I do love Chicago as a play. Mm-hmm. The movie is okay, even though it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. but the movie's okay. But I don't think you get the punch. If, well, it's so you see crafted it. to be a stage show. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Do you still go to theaters? I do when I can. Um, I can't remember the last thing I saw. Um, but I try to get to the over the Guthrie when I can. The one in Minneapolis. The, oh yeah, yeah. For the listeners, it's the, the one in Minneapolis. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I saw you know when I was in New York, I went to see stuff on Broadway and off Broadway all the time because there was always something, always something great, you know. And I, I was lucky enough to see, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman in in Death of a Salesman and that had to be and awesome. some things that, you know, I saw um, Twelfth Night with. Oh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it. We'll look we'll it up later. It up there. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a little break, 
and then I get back. I wanted a little opinion on a movie. I want to read a little bit of mixture about theater and Broadway. I want to ask your opinion about it. We, so we'll be back with Matt. From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Back with Matt. Um, Matt, did you see Birdman? Oh yeah, I love Birdman. Did you really? Did I did. You, did you see it? I actually saw it twice, and I know there's a lot of backlash of why that was a best picture. I think it qualifies as something as a best I picture. I thought it was absolutely best picture worthy. Yeah. What did you think about it? Because with Michael Keaton, and it's a little bit of play of him doing almost himself, and it's a metaphor of the scene of New York. Well, it's just about that the personal battle with yourself in, in being an artist and being an actor and being a writer and trying to overcome your own demons. Right. And anyone who's ever tried to write anything knows exactly what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I think it was well-written and well-acted. There's a huge metaphor like birds of chirping. They even talk about Twitter and all that stuff. And it's almost like a birdhouse, how they, they're up in the balcony and they have the little dialogue it's constantly it's moving and constantly. the camera's following everyone around and yeah and it's it's a little bit play of hand less sleight of hand a little bit of sneakery but i always predicted it like birdman it's like a bird house and everybody is to act together and um even emma has big bird eyes mm-hmm. <laughs> right in the movie i but, think it plays i, I yeah. mean it's a beautiful script i i loved it i did yeah yeah you were recently and here in Minnesota, uh, there was a short film. Our previous guest, uh, J.J. Kaiser, along with um, Timmy Stratton, and um, we're here talking about Only Dance Can Save Us, yeah. and it featured you. We didn't, we couldn't have you because we didn't have enough microphones. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you were in the movie. I was in the movie. I think you're the only guy in the movie. One of the only guys for sure, yeah. Yeah. 
So talk about that with only dance can save us. You're not really full fledged. I mean, in the movie, you don't have to like to carry the movie, but you're in there pretty good. Yeah. So I play the son of the choreographer who passes away, and one of his proteges um, was this young woman who is now a teacher herself, and they're putting on a memorial for the choreographer and she doesn't really know if she wants to be involved or not and right. I approach her and invite her to at least think about it because I think it's really important that she's a part of it yeah when uh with filming and how, how did you do correspond with JJ about the whole process I came on really late I caught a casting notice somewhere online and I emailed John and I was like hey are you still seeing tapes for this I'd love to throw one okay. in and he was like if you could do it by tomorrow I think it was tomorrow and I was like sure um, which you know sometimes you just have sometimes to do. it does happen right? but you know he yeah. sent me the sides and I was like I get this guy like I think I know what this is and so I did my take and I put it on tape and uh, you know I got an email a couple weeks later and he was like we want you on board and it really was a lovely project and I think it's important to talk about that those parts of not only dance but our mentors are not always perfect beings and yeah. uh, a lot of times we have complicated relationships not only with our families but with our teachers and it's important to see both sides of that and honor it and also show why it's not okay or why it might not have been things may have gone down that weren't okay yeah. um and that affects people and we have to acknowledge that sometimes i think of all the the short films that people have submitted to me to be on the show and stuff like that i think it's the most best written dialogue of a short film jumped is really beautiful it was really beautiful work, yeah it's a really talent of dialogue in that movie mm -hmm. and how you guys fleshed it out it was just fantastic yeah i really loved how he particularly with my character kind of bookends I show up in the beginning and then I show up at the end and yeah. and I felt like I got to carry a little bit of the message of the film um, and I think his, his dialogue is really wonderful. I think people should actually see, uh, seek it out. It's called Only Dance Can Save Absolutely. Us. Um, and it's really not, even if you don't like a dance, I don't think it's about dance. It's I not think, really about dance yeah. itself. It's about creating something and and the, the sort of troubles that, that one can come about right. by doing that yeah. yeah and you won't really see a movie like this one no that's the other thing is it, it, it it's one of those I have always critiqued things is it memorable or unforgettable and I think it's actually both totally it's very unforgettable you will actually remember you've seen this movie and it'll stick with you it's as such a, an original yeah. film and I, I really enjoyed watching it um, you've also did we've talked about a little bit about, about writing mm -hmm. um, and you've written a screenplay for a movie I have. Yeah. I've written a couple. Uh, a couple years ago, I handed uh, my writer friend a book that I had found, and I was like, this would be a great movie. You should write this. And he handed it back to me. <laughs> and he goes, you should write it. And uh, after months of sitting on it, I just started uh, plowing out a draft and wrote this horrible 200-page, you know, just, awfulness. Uh, but I got my first screenplay out of the way. And a couple years later, I got a chance to pitch uh, a producer a couple of ideas and we settled on one and I'm working on that right now. So you're in the process of doing another uh, writing project, another screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Um, do you do outlines? I do now. I when I started, <laughs> I didn't really even know how to go about doing that. Okay. So I just sort of like flew by the seat of my pants, and and now I find that I can't not do it because I find that you waste so much time writing stuff you don't need. Yeah. It's not about. It's not at least for me. It's not about writing scenes. That's the hard work. It's about writing the right scenes. And so if you can know what scenes need to be where before you start writing them, or at yeah. least have some idea of like the tent poles, uh, you know, how it begins, how it ends, stuff like that. I really need to know those things going in. Otherwise I just start going down roads that are just pages are in time wasted in time that I don't really have, you know, right. I got, I've got kids, I got <laughs> other jobs and I just, it helps me focus the story so much better and saves time that I would have had to rewrite later anyway. Um, with writing, it's hard to like, when does a scene end? When does a scene start? What is the first line? What is it? And this, that kind of traps people. Is that something that you kind of notice when you're writing? Did you kind of develop like a flow for it? That like, kind of tells you? Yes. Yeah. I also think it's important to sometimes just keep going and plow through it. Okay. You can always cut out the end of the scene and cut out, you know, you're, they always say, you know, start the scene as late as possible and leave the scene as soon as you can <laughs> while, while not losing what the scene is about. Yeah. And so you can always go back and cut the beginning, cut the end, or just rewrite the entire thing completely. Or sometimes if I get stuck, you know, and there's something supposed to happen in the script, I'll just write some, this thing happens here with this character <laughs> and then I'll just write the scene after it, you know, and I'll come back later. But it's just, it's important to just keep writing keep going because it's the sitting and just you can stew and and think about what you want to do next but it's better to like take action and just get get something down or get idea start moving ideas around and move scenes around i think it's a constant like acting it's a constant practice that you have to almost do something daily with it absolutely or any other trait that you have to even if write some, something down some kind of scene down even though mm -hmm. it's not going to be a published work or intent published work that you have it to does. keep it practice. I think you yeah. have to write a huge amount before you start to write like yourself. Before right. you start to sound like yourself. You know, you're, you're sort of writing until you can put down the things that you're afraid of and, and just say what you want. Um, it sounds kind of funny saying that out loud, but it's the same fear that you have on stage. Like you have to be on stage enough to where you're, just, you're not scared of doing it anymore. So that's how I find emotional scenes. It's not the trying to cry. It's the like just being ready for the moment. Sure. And, and available. Yeah. And then that will happen. It's kind of the same with writing to me where you just have to be sort of okay with whatever comes out yeah. and ready and knowing what you're doing and then just like pour it out on the page and see what happens. Uh, when I wrote my script for my comic book, The Green Way, when I wrote the script, I actually came across a scene that I was actually crying as I was writing it mm -hmm. and I think I don't want to say that hopefully will translate into the story but it definitely I think you have to get there oh absolutely and it shows yeah. that that might not be the the perfect thing you know I might have to edit it or rewrite it again but like you're on the right track if that's happening right yeah. because if you care about what you're writing somebody else is going to relate in some fashion I think that's absolutely right I think because you should yeah. be writing the movies that you want to see I think yeah. right. I I I have that sign up um, in my classroom. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a story out there that hasn't been written, by all means, you do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, 
and it's a hard thing you know yeah. like I, I'll write two three four drafts of a script and I I, just, I read it and I get to the end and I'm like what is this about like <laughs> why did I write this and I if I can just nail down like what why did I put this on paper and then instill that back in once I figure it out that's what really sort of brings the script together because um, sometimes I don't know that going in just comes out okay that was what I was leading up to and he caught me off there but are you comfortable during the night or during the day? I prefer to work in the mornings. Really? Honestly. Really? And maybe that's just a what's sort of happened with my life schedule, but I find that it my once I have my coffee, got to have the coffee first. Yeah. Um I, like I find that it's easiest for me to sort of get into that flow state earlier in the day and not late at night when I'm just wiped out. Yeah. Now now I can edit later in the day and I if I if I want to go back and rewrite some dialogue or something, I, I can still do it. Yeah. Um, but I find that I'm easiest in like I can get back into the story easiest earlier in the day, preferably in the mornings. When you start out writing, do you characters first, story first, or kind of a theme first? I think it's all been sort of characters and and maybe a situation. It, okay, that always that the impetus of the idea is always people to me. I think so. I think it'd be hard if you just start out with a theme and then you material manifest it from there. I think it's always with somebody, it's always a start of a character. Yeah. Because it's really the character that drives everything else. You know, yeah. if you have something fun that you want to happen in the plot, you can, you can sort of put that in later, but it has to be the characters driving the story. Have you ever, when you written, have you had any surprises like, Oh wow, this is, a change you have to any surprises when you're writing or is it always kind of goes where you think it's going to go oh yeah you know i've had i had a character get killed in one of my scripts and i was like oh okay that, that wasn't <laughs> where i was going with that but and that actually really that works uh you know maybe or maybe it was going to happen at a different time a different but it, it was it needs to be now it need, yeah it needs to be now yeah <laughs> We should give you that shirt. I always see uh, people write. It's like, if you were in my story, you'd be dead by now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm mostly a drama writer, so that doesn't that type of stuff doesn't happen very often. But um, I think you do have to write. Uh, I I have yet to write a script where I know every single thing that's happening before I go into it. So, so a little more surprise. Yeah, you're waiting for the surprise. So yeah, I really have to <laughs> outline a couple of things, and then I can sort of fill in the rest. Yeah. When you write, do you have a title in mind, or does that come Sometimes, later? Sometimes, but it also it, it can change. Okay, yeah, it's very surprising because I like it. Sometimes I see people I have a title, but I don't have a story. Yet. Well, then you have nothing. You have a story, then think about title first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you ever do other stories? Like you read other materials before you get started, like books or for the. Like uh, feature I'm writing now I did about six weeks of research just because I didn't really know a ton about the mythology and I won't get okay. too specific about it but I I listened to a bunch of podcasts I listened to um, some old poetry being read um, you know and then online you can just <laughs> you can go down a quite, gonna... quite a rabbit hole yes yeah clicking link to link yeah Mine, mine took a year because it was 1968. I obviously wasn't alive in 1968, so I rented a bunch of movies that were at the time. Uh, 
look at photographs, newspapers, anything I absorb. It took me a year to the point where I know more about 1968 than I really want to. Mm-hmm. But I think that's prevalent for your story. You better know more about that than anybody else. And all of that might be worth it just for one specific moment where you talk about you know, the pen that he's using or the, you know, right. it, the one thing that connects that period to the part of your story. You well, never I really me, know yeah. what's going to come in handy. I caught myself because I had a prop, a moving literary device. It's a watch, but oh, <laughs> I just put it the watch. I was like, oh no, it has to be a watch from 1968. So I went frantically to sketch because I had better have to get the right data about a watch, what it looks like from 1968 or earlier. Mm-hmm. And that took days to figure out which one fit perfect for the story. Yeah. So you're right. It's something that may be in one panel, but it stopped my process just to make sure it was accurate enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think about literary devices when you're writing, like a prop or? Sometimes. I I, I try to, like I said, outline sort of the beginning and the end. Yeah. yeah. And maybe something that happens in the middle and then just see where it takes me. I really feel like, I equate writing to music a little bit where you just kind of have to like make up the song and then the different pieces of the song will reflect, you know, like if you just made up a melody, it would have, it would be in a certain key and then certain notes in that key would sound better than others. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I feel the same way about. Well, being a band, yeah, I should know. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I feel like screenplay structure is a little bit of that where I don't think it's, when you write it, you should be picking the notes first. But there are certain things that need to happen in the song for it to sound good. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. You know? I think you explained it better than a lot of other people, but yeah. And I think that's just sort of an innate thing. I think that stories have certain things that happen in them. If you were just talking about going to the store, or like if you were telling any story in your life, this is something we naturally do all the time, is we, we have these narrative devices where you set up some sort of normal world and then something happens that changes that and then there's this journey and then it ends somehow like those are any story you could tell about anything that happened in your life it would pretty much have those pieces right yeah there was the uh, movie that came out dr sleep written predominantly well it had a great aura a sense to it right Uh, i had got the whole theme the style and then there was one little snippet that took me out of it there was a which the the antagonist goes to a grocery store and it just cut it to the whole theme tone look and all of it and it seemed like a wart out of it and it just jumped it cut like it just didn't need to be in there it didn't fit it didn't fit mm-hmm. and now if you took that out i think the whole concept and look would fit much well but it that whole scene just took me away from there mm-hmm. and i think you have as a writer you have to be conscious of that is there something in there that's going to take away from the whole story yeah because yeah. you only have so much real estate in you know a hundred or however many pages that if there's too much extraneous stuff you just run out of space to be able to tell a good story <laughs> that's the problem when i come with comic books because you don't you have limited amount of, you can't do a huge hamlet soliloquy mm-hmm. in comic books because you don't have enough space mm-hmm. you have to do at most a two-sentence dialogue and carry it on that's why yeah, comic I books bet. are a little more compact and you have to more more quick heavy action because you just mm-hmm. don't have the space to you know am i <laughs> am i am i am or i'm not yeah you can't do that mm-hmm. yeah would you ever think about doing a comic book right for a comic book i haven't 
Um, same kind of thing because you're writing almost like a screenplay for a comic book. Yeah. It's the same kind of area. Yeah. Yeah. You're writing a script, the dialogue, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So I always say a lot of people are like, I'm writing a screenplay for a movie. Well, think you thought about it like a comic book? Not really. Well, it's just simply a storyboard for you. Basically, yeah. And novels are the same way. You know, yeah. I'm not a novel writer, but it's it's stretched out a little more because it can be whatever you want. But those same same story pieces are almost almost in everything. I ran into one of my at the Comic Con, the last Fall Con, and um, I won't say her name. She won't let me. But uh, she's a comic book writer, and I go, "You used to do books, write novels, and all. Why didn't you start to comic book writing?" And she's like, "I'm tired of describing trees." <laughs> <laughs> I want to get to the. I'm just. I'm maybe I'm lazy, but I'm just tired of describing the food. In the trees. That's one of the things I love about writing screenplays is like you have to be so spe specific. You know, you have to create this entire world and describe all of these things and everything that they see in about three lines. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. You got about 30 pages to set up everything and then go from there. When you do a screenplay and you're going to present to other people, are you particular about? The, what the look and the performance of the actors or are you kind of general to their interpretations that's something that's kind of hard for if you're if anybody's listening interested in doing screenwriting I think that's our seesaw to balance because you don't want to be too precise for somebody you don't know who's going to perform it or sure you, I try yeah. to th think more as a writer when I'm doing that kind of thing than, yeah. than maybe a director who would be even more specific sure um, but I yeah. try to get somebody who might have this the same rhythms that I have in my head, you know, the, it's the dialogue that's most important. Like you want somebody that kind of sounds like the character in your head. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think dialogue is the hardest thing yeah. ever. Yeah. Especially for somebody who's been trying it because when you're doing dialogue and somebody's like, well, you're just exposition. But it can be so helpful because reading on the page is one thing, but hearing everything out loud, like I, we had a reading a couple weeks ago of my new script and and it was, I took six pages of notes and I was crossing things out and circling things. And once you hear it out loud and it, it becomes a live person, you're like, oh, they need to say this or, oh, they already said that in another scene. Or you start to, you know, it all comes to life off the page. Yeah. I think it's, that's the transition, right? It looks great on paper. Well, let's flesh it out. And then it doesn't really translate very well then you have to do some changes yeah or they can interpret a line completely differently than you meant it and you're like oh i, sh I should specify that you know what right I mean? yeah one of those surprises <laughs> <Yeah. when> you... <laughs> exactly <laughs> do you when you write do you have multiple characters or you really want to concentrate on a few of them do you constantly keep all, a list of all the characters because i know a lot of people do heavy a lot of characters like tarantino does thousands of characters in a movie mm -hmm. and there's some people like Sorkin who might be doing like five of them. And I try to keep it down just because it, it's so hard already to tell a good story with like five or six no that I can't even imagine trying to do something with 30, you know, right. I, I have this sort of fantasy about one day writing like my shortcuts, you know, and have it like a whole bunch of different couples or a whole bunch of different characters and they somehow intertwine. But I'm like, until I figure out how to write a good script with like two, two. or five, you know, yeah. then we can sort of graduate to that later on. Um, so the natural thing I was going to ask you is when you watch somebody else's or like another film, mm -hmm. what is something that pops out to you for, first? Is the acting, the writing, or is this the overall movie? I definitely, I mean, 
act. I just assume everyone in the movie is going to be knowing what they're doing as far yeah. in terms of acting. Yeah. Um, the, since I started writing, I noticed the writing a lot more than I used to. It pops um, out a little more. It pops it? definitely pops out a little more. Um, and some things also get spoiled. You know, you'll hear a line of dialogue and you're like, oh, I know what that means later. Or they're going to call back to that later. And, uh, you know, you start to see further ahead yeah. in the story. Um, so it's actually spoiled a couple movies for me because I'm like, oh, well, well, it's obviously that guy's going to end up being the bad guy or stuff like that. Well, then I have to challenge you to go see Knives Out then. You're going to have oh, to Oh, I go- can't wait. <laughs> it, it's one it, I think it sh- mm, it probably be nominated for best original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Probably I just nominated. got a hold of the script, but I, I'm not going to read it yet because I want to see it. Because I read a lot of scripts. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Is that something you like to read the scripts before after the movie or before? I, it, it sort of depends. If I really want to see the movie, I definitely yeah. won't read it first because I've read a couple that it's just never as good after the fact because you're once you read it, you created everything in your head already. So <laughs> yeah. That's sort of like the ideal how you picture it. You know, you can't help that. And then you go see it in the theater or at home, and you're like, oh, that person doesn't look anything like I was thinking. <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't mean it's not good. It's no, just it's not, just... you're not seeing it for the first time, you know? That's what I, yeah. Like I read, uh, last year I read Lady Bird, and I loved it. And then I watched it, and I loved the movie, but I was like, man, I wish I hadn't read it, because then I would be experiencing it, watching fresh. it for the first time, and be did fresh. Like, I did like that. That was good. That was really tight. It's a script. wonderful script. That is a very tight. Yeah, yeah. and it, it knew how to end a scene perfect, even if it was dynamic, because it's it it tricks you that it's a little bit lulls. Mm-hmm. Then you have these boom, boom, booms right in there. Like, whoa, okay, yeah. yeah. And the opposite thing can happen too. Where I I watched Bird Box when it came out, and then when I went and read it later on, um, Michael Heiser wrote this amazing script and this this beautiful like poetic prose. Um, that sort of contrasted the like before uh, and after um, timelines. Yeah, and it's really wonderfully written. But when I wa- you don't see that when you watch it. Um, but on paper, it's it's just really well put together and just wonderful. So, I, so if anybody's interested in becoming a screen screenplay writer or just learning from you, I think reading other people's scripts is a good idea. Oh yeah. I think that's not putting yourself in a room and trying to crack out a masterpiece is not the way to go, that you wanna show it to people, share it, and flesh it out a little bit. Let people say lines and see how it looks before Mm -hmm. you are comfortable presenting to anybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do workshops or like writer's workshops? Um, I I have a writer's group. I I don't teach writing, I don't feel that I, um, I don't feel right uh, ch- like charging people money to teach them things unless I really feel like yeah. um, I'm a professional at it. Like I, I, I do acting workshops and I do master classes and stuff, but as a writer, I still feel like I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Um, so I, I help a lot of people with scripts and I have a lot of friends who send me their stuff um, and I'll give notes and feedback and things like that. But um I don't feel like I'm at the level where I want to charge someone money. No. I just, I just don't. It just doesn't feel right to me. Um, what comes first is the writing or the acting. You, what do you consider yourself, or just both, or it's just... the same energy for me. Like, okay, it, it, I love doing one or the other. It's, it's creating character, you know, with my voice, or creating character with my mind, and I get the sort of same pleasure doing both. <laughs> like, do. 
with your writings, and I know they're not comedies, but you, do you think about it? Do you think about maybe there has to be a little bit of a funny in there? Oh, or? yeah. No, it, it may not be coming off today, but I, <laughs> comedy is actually... <laughs> I've done a lot of comedy um, as an actor. And for, for some reason, I get, keep getting cast in these dark projects. And, <laughs> and also, some of my screenplay ideas are really dark, but I do have a handful of shorts that are just, you know, two guys sitting in the stands of a baseball game just shooting the, shoes, yeah. yeah you know what i mean yeah i was watching on youtube uh bruce flanch who used to be a, a oh, yeah. tv writer and everybody, anybody that knows bruce flanch but he's he started out being the writer for bet midler mm -hmm. and there was this thing he talked about is this one day i was just i blanked out i had nothing for jokes and she was really upset she goes bruce i hired you you have to have something for me and he just said why don't you just go out there naked? That could be a joke. And she did it. <laughs> she went on stage, <laughs> bare naked and sang. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, and that sailed it. And then they, their, their career launched off. He goes, all launched because they didn't have anything in mind. I go, why don't you just go out there naked? That could be a joke. And she did. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's an important element for people is even if you're not a comedic writer, think of something that could be translated as something funny in it. Oh yeah, no I think even your most read. famous movies will have something funny in, in it. And even the dirgiest, saddest of stories still have moments of lightness and and a joke or two every once in a while. Because yeah. especially in when people are in those awful situations, one of the best ways to make themselves feel better is to make a joke. Yeah. You know? Nobody ever calls himself brother or you know, to their brother. You never say brother. You always hey dickhead or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so matt thanks for coming man of course this is a lot of fun yeah yeah eventually hopefully when maybe we have to come back we do a writer's workshop podcast or that something. would be super fun that would be great i would love to do it um everybody matt bailey and of course it's not over till the guest says it's I'm over sorry guys it's over hey.